Well, we're going to jump into God's Word today, and uh, to be honest with you, I've been struggling a little bit this week about what I might share with you, and it's not because I didn't want to. I love to preach, and uh, it's not because I didn't have any ideas. I usually have too many ideas, and my struggle every week is trying to whittle those things down so I don't get up here and just go off like a fire hydrant, right, and, and, and give you too much to think about. So that wasn't my problem, but... You know, after you've preached a Father's Day message 20 times over 20 years, I don't know, I'm just, just kind of saying, Lord, I want to make sure I'm not just on autopilot. I want to make sure I'm not just, you know, doing something I've done before. I want to I share, what is your heart? What do you want to say to your church this week? And so I've gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, and, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying at all that when I speak, God speaks. I'm not... I'm not saying that, uh, but my intention each week is to speak something inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what I hope for, not just for me, but for anyone who would stand behind this pulpit. So all week long as we've been ministering to these teenagers, I've been talking to God about what I might share with you this morning. And as I was praying, I felt like God impressed this upon me. I felt like he, he asked me a question. He asked me this question. He said, Dave, what kind of men do you want your sons to be? What kind of men do you want your sons to be? And as I pondered that question, it then became clear what I would share with you this morning. I'm the father now of three grown sons. And there are really four things that I pray for in my boys. Four things. I'm going to share them with you today. I want my sons to submit to God. I want them to sacrifice for family. I want them to serve others, and I want them to stand for truth. So four prayers that I have for my boys, and that I'm also praying over the men of our church. That we would submit to God, that we would sacrifice for family, we would serve others, and we would stand for truth. And as I've thought about these four things, I could easily find them illustrated in the life of Jesus himself. And so those are the four things we're going to talk about today. John 6.38 is going to be our first scripture where we see Jesus living a submitted life. John 6.38, he said this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, this is my mission statement. This is my purpose for my time on this planet. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. My prayer for my sons and my grandsons and my prayer for the men of this house is that you would live with a spiritual awareness that you are on this planet for one reason and one reason only, to fulfill the will of God. I want my boys to wake up each morning with a conscious call that God has a plan for their lives and the only thing that will bring them true satisfaction and true fulfillment is to walk out that call. You see, we live in an age of distracted men. Fellas, sometimes we can get distracted. We get distracted by things that cannot and do not matter in eternity. I'm tired of seeing men chase money only to end up spiritually broke. 
I know very successful men who have more stuff than they can even keep track of. They get raises and bonuses and they buy out their competitors, but inside they are still empty and unfulfilled. And this week as I thought about what kind of men do I want my sons to be, can I tell you that an income bracket never came to mind. Not once when I looked at my three boys did I think, boy, I hope they make X amount of dollars. Never entered my mind. Sure, I want to see them prosper. Nothing wrong with prosperity. But true prosperity is one of the soul. A prosperity that can only come by daily walking with Jesus Christ. I know thousands of men, but only a few of them are living aware of their spiritual call. My brothers, hear me. Every one of us has a calling from God. Every one of us. You might be a truck driver or a carpenter or an accountant or a laborer. That's your job, but it's not your calling. Your calling is to carry Jesus Christ into every room you walk into. That's your call. Last night I was invited to the Western Maryland truck and tractor pull to open up the evening with a word of prayer. Listen, I don't know nothing about tractors. Right? Like, I have no idea about tractors. I wasn't even sure what was going on. It said it was a tractor pull. I'm picturing guys trying to pull their tractors. What in the world is, I don't know what is going on here. But if I'm given the opportunity to bring Jesus to the tractor pull, sign me up. I'm bringing Jesus to the tractor pull. Why? Because that's my calling. Men, your calling is to carry Jesus into every realm of your life. Your job pays your bills, but your calling, it feeds your soul. By the way, Patty and I had a really good time at the tractor pool. So thanks, Mark Miller, for inviting us and putting that all together. It was awesome. My brothers, don't get distracted. Don't waste your lives chasing power, money, or pleasure, but be passionate worshipers of Almighty God. His hand has been upon you since he formed you in your mother's womb, and when he gave you life, he gave you purpose. The only way you will truly be satisfied in this life is when you live a life submitted to God. I challenge you, men of God, begin each day with this prayer. Father, I submit my life to you today, not my will, but yours be done. What kind of men do I want my sons to be? Men who are submitted to the hand of God. Not on this planet to simply seek their own will, their own agenda, their own pleasures. But to seek his will. To be his instruments here on this earth. The next prayer I pray for them is that they would sacrifice for their families. I think there are numerous ways that a man needs to sacrifice for his family. Certainly one of those should be work. Laziness is a dangerous place for a man. You can hold your amens till the end of the message and then just give a standing ovation if you want. That's okay. I don't know how your church does it, but I mean, we can do it that way here. It's fine. It's fine. I said laziness is a dangerous place for the soul of a man. It's dangerous. It's not good for us to be lazy. It's not good for us to be. Our souls need to be productive. Now, I realize that looks different for every man. Okay, that looks different. God designed us differently, gave us gifts 
talents, skills that are unique to us. So, you know, not everybody has those same gifts, and that's all right. I'm not trying to preach a stereotype today that says every man has to fit into a certain mold, but I will say this. Every man must find something to put his hand to. Laziness is a dangerous place. We get into trouble when we are idle. Now, if there's illness or true disability, those can be valid reasons why a man can't work. But even then, a man needs something to occupy his time. It is good for us men to go to bed tired every night. Somebody say amen. Now, not only do I want my sons to sacrifice by working hard, but I want them to show sacrifice in other ways as well. Sometimes we sacrifice by doing things that, that don't naturally, that, that don't come to us naturally. An example might be showing affection or nurturing our families. For some men, that comes very, very naturally. For some of us, it, it's, it's, we have to be intentional. We've got to make ourselves do it. Now look at the life of Jesus. He was never married, but yet while he was on this earth, we saw tender moments on display from Jesus Christ toward women and children. Jesus was a defender of women. We can read story after story in the gospel of how Jesus came to the rescue of women and he restored their worth and their value in a culture that treated them like property. I want my sons to love their wives in a way where their arms are the safest place in the world for their wives. I only have one daughter-in-law so far. But if I ever find my son mistreats her, I will turn him over my knee even if I have to ask three guys from church to help me. Can I get any brothers to give me an amen? amen. Men, I'm going to talk straight to you for just a minute. If you have used fear and anger to control your wife and your children, I urge you to repent today. And from this day forward, Take steps to make your home a place of love and safety for everyone who lives there. Amen. Ladies, I already hit you on Mother's Day, but I'll just get one more jab in. That goes for you too. Our homes should be a safe place for everyone who lives there. Do not use anger, fear, your size, physical intimidation, none, none of that stuff to control the people in your house. God has called us to love one another. Jesus was always defending women. He was always showing them care from the way that he treated the prostitute uh, uh, to the way he treated the woman caught in adultery to, to he's dying there on the cross and he pauses his own death to make sure that his mother is taken care of. He's always showing affection toward women, showing tenderness toward children. Mark 10, look at this scripture, Mark 10 and verse 13. Children in his day had no value. And, and so what he's about to do here in Mark 10 is revolutionary. <laughs> His disciples can't believe it. Mark 10 and verse 13. They brought, the crowd brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples, the ones who had been doing life with Jesus for three years, the ones he had been training for ministry, the ones who had become the leaders of the early church, they rebuked those who brought them. They saw children as a distraction. They said, don't bother the master. Don't bother the teacher. Don't bother the rabbi by bringing him these little kids. 
Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, when he saw they were upset, he was greatly displeased. He's mad at his own boys. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. He says, boys, if you don't become like these kids that you think are a distraction, if you don't become like them, you ain't even getting in. Somebody say, yikes. Verse 16, and he took them up in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Just as Jesus restored worth to women, he did the same thing for children. My prayer for my sons is that they would be tender fathers. Do dads need to discipline and train their kids? Yes. Yes. Yes, we do. That's an important part of fathering. But we also need to do those things through a relationship filled with tenderness and love. And I know many of us in this room, maybe some of us listening by radio or online, maybe we didn't have fathers like that. Some of us were hurt by the very men who should have loved us the most. And if that's your reality, I'm really, really sorry that you went through that. But if you have the opportunity to be a dad or a mom for that, for that sake, be the type of parent you didn't have. You can, you can wallow in your past. You can stay there for the rest of your life if you want to. Or you can say, I didn't have one, but I'm going to be one. I want to see my grandkids raised by fathers who speak positive words over them. Dads, your words land in a deep spot in your kids' hearts. Use your words wisely. Your words carry weight. Use your words wisely. Don't ever tell your kids that you're a failure. Don't ever tell your kids you'll never be able to do that. Don't, don't ever speak words of death over your kids. Choose life. Your words have power. God has put power in your tongue. Use them to build up your children. Dads, be affectionate to your kids. Even if you didn't grow up with it, you can start, do you know you can start a new family tradition today? Again, I see you're just holding back. I'm going to say that again. You can start a new family tradition today. Say, well, pastor, my dad never hugged me. Start a new family tradition today. Hug your kids. I say, pastor, my dad never told me he loved me. You can start a new family tradition today. Tell your kids, your lips, your mouth, your vocal cords that you love them. You don't have to repeat the same dysfunctional patterns that ran in your family. What runs in your family stops when you join the family of God. Use the influence and the power that he's given you to change your family tree. The next prayer I pray for my boys is that they would use their lives to serve others. Fellas, I think one of the greatest temptations we have as men is the tendency to be selfish. I think we are bent in that direction. It's not that women can't be selfish. They can, and I know plenty of them, and you, don't, you can hold your amens. But often the role of motherhood 
forces a woman to serve her family. It's just the way it is. That's not a bad thing either, ladies. It's not a bad thing. But brothers, you and I have the, te the tendency, some of us, many of us, to become selfish. And the cure for selfishness is servanthood. Say that again. The cure for selfishness is servanthood. We live in a culture that despises servanthood. And in fact, it is a status symbol. If you have enough power or money to get people to serve you, that's a status symbol in the culture. But not so in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Mark 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, he's God. But he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Over and over and over again, Jesus displayed love through servanthood. Even to the point on the last night of his life, he took a bowl of water and a towel, got down on his hands and knees, and washed the dirty feet of his own disciples. All of them were too proud to do this. So on the night before he would wash their hearts with his blood, he washed their feet with water. Showing us that true men of God are servants. I want to brag on my sons for just a minute. A few weeks ago, my son Caleb came home from work. He told us that he and some other workers had gotten a bonus. And for whatever reason, a, a, a co-worker didn't get the bonus. It wasn't because he wasn't doing a good job or was lazy or whatever. He just wasn't there that day or whatever. And, and, and Caleb said, you know, I feel like maybe I should take my bonus and give it to him. Well, I'm going to be honest with you today. I'm not proud of it. But at first, Dad was thinking through, you know, natural lens. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, Caleb, you got your own financial needs. And, you know, uh, you got the bonus. Maybe you ought to just keep the bonus. Look at you judging me right now. <laughs> Look, I mean, I feel it. I feel it right now all over the room. <laughs> but as, as we began to talk a little further found out that Caleb wanted to use that as a witnessing tool to this guy he works with. I felt about that big. So proud of my son to see the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He would take what he has, give it to someone else to serve them. As I said, we were in teen camp this week. It's been a busy, busy week. Friday night, we all got home late. We're all tired. We're sitting around the kitchen table rehashing some of the highlights of the week. Our son, Matthew, had taken a week off of work so he could serve at kids camp. And the more we talked, I discovered, I didn't realize, but I discovered he'd also taken this week off so he could serve at kids camp. And let me just remind you, Matthew is not independently wealthy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And when I heard he was missing another week of work, I wasn't immediately thrilled because <laughs> I'm again thinking through it through that financial lens until I realized he was sacrificing to serve others. So blessed to see the fruit of the Spirit. My son serving others. I know what you're saying, Pastor. You've got a third son. What about him? <laughs> well... He brought me a muffin last week, and I'm going to tell you, I have never been so proud of, of my son. My son works a full-time job here. David works a full-time job here on his day off. 
He protects and serves the residents of Oakland working as a police officer. Giving of himself a life of service. I'm bragging on my kids. I don't know your kids that well, so I can't brag on them. But I'm just saying, as a dad, it blesses me to see the fruit of the Spirit at work in my boys. Men, sometimes we can be really, really selfish. Therefore, we have to be intentional about serving others through our time, with our money, and with the resources God has given us. Servanthood is an important part of our calling. And if you're not currently serving others in some capacity, I encourage you, find a place to do it. There are places in this church, there are places in our community who desperately need help. Find one of those holes and fill it. Somebody say amen. Now, the last prayer I pray for my sons and I pray for you men in our church, is that in a culture that lives by lies, that we would stand for truth. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. They are strong words. John 15 and verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. (laughs) The world would love you. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Yikes. Strong words. Two verses. He uses the word hate four times. Can I tell you that even though I saw some of the current trends of culture coming ahead of time, I still find myself shaking my head in disbelief when I realize The things I saw coming are here. (laughs) We live in a nation that used to live by a set of shared values founded in the Judeo-Christian ethic. But now those same values are often sneered sneered at and despised. We have people that can look at evil and call it good. We have people that can look at good and call it evil. Christians are increasingly being mocked and shamed for our beliefs, and the Bible is often referred to as hate speech. In a culture like that, I'm praying for my sons that they will have the courage to continue to stand for truth. Do you know that it takes no courage to echo culture? It takes tremendous courage to speak truth. It takes no courage to echo culture and just say what culture is saying. It's not not courageous, but it takes tremendous courage to stand in the face of culture and speak truth. What is truth? The world says there is no truth. Culture says truth is relative. It's truth for you, not truth for me. Your truth, my truth. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 17, he's praying for his disciples, which is a prayer for us. Verse 14, he says, Father, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Church, do you realize God has called us to this time in this place? We're here. Live, you are alive right now. People say, I was born at the wrong time. Oh, listen, listen, brother, you were not. Listen, sister, I know you think you'd look good. In, in those big poofy dresses and, and, and riding in a horse and carriage or something like that. No, 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 you, you, no, no, you look good in a lifted truck. 
You're here right now, and in this place, the book of Acts says God determines the times that we would live in, and he set our boundaries. You are here on this planet right now with a purpose, on purpose, because Almighty God decided you'd be born at this moment. You've got a call for this generation. You're not living in the wrong generation. You've got a call for this generation. Jesus said, Father, I don't pray that you'd take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of this world in verse 16, just as I'm not of this world. And then verse 17 is a key verse. I memorized it many, many years ago. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus defined truth as being the words of God. The truths found in Scripture might be considered outdated and old-fashioned. They might be called uneducated and simple. They might even be called hate speech. But friends, the data doesn't lie. We now have enough data to prove that as a culture, the more we have removed God from public life, the more we have suffered as a culture. Just take a look around. That's all you got to do. You can set the Bible aside for a moment if you want to and just take a look around. Every place that we have neglected the truth found in Scripture, we have paid a price for it. We are sick as a culture. We are hurting. As a culture. So in that culture that has suppressed truth and chosen to live by lies, my prayer for my sons, my prayer for you, is that we would continue to stand in God's truth. Not only stand in it, but apply it in the decisions we make for our families. Let's think about it this way for a moment. You ever... Probably many of us have applied for a loan over the course of our lives, either a loan for a new couch or a new car or a mortgage or whatever. I don't know if you've ever gotten declined for a loan, but banks, banks decline people. They don't approve everybody. Call your bank this week. Say, hey, do you guys offer unconditional approval? They're going to say no. What do they do? They put you through a process. In that process, they look at the data on your life, and they determine your credit worthiness. And then there's some, there's some people who will make a judgment about whether or not doing business with you is good for their organization. And if they, they deem it's good, they'll approve the, the loan. And if they say, no, this is, not, this is not good for us, they will make a judgment not to do business with, with you. Does that make the bank self-righteous? Do we, do we call the bank judgmental? No, we don't. We understand that they made a decision for the health of their organization. Dads, moms, we're not being self-righteous when we make informed decisions on what's best for our families. We have a right to do that. And not only do we have a right to do that, we have a responsibility to do that because one day we will stand before God and give account for the way we raise our kids. We are called to make judgments about the education of our family. You re do you realize that? Your teacher, the school board, they're, they're not going to be standing there with you and your kids before God. God's holding you accountable. You are the leader in your family. You have a right and a responsibility to make 
a judgment, an informed judgment on how you want to educate your kids. You have a right and a responsibility to make a judgment about the entertainment you choose for your kids. You have a right and a responsibility to make a judgment about the circle of friends that you allow your kids to have. That's called leadership. Everybody makes judgments all day long. Even those who don't know God judge things every single day. But to those of us who know him, we make our judgments based upon the truth of his word. Do you know there is truth concerning human sexuality? It's in the Bible. Do you know there is truth concerning how to raise a family? It's in the Bible. There is truth concerning how to handle our money. It's in there. There is truth on how to govern a nation. It's in there. There is truth on how to have good relationships. It's all in the Bible. God's word is not just true. It is truth. And in a culture that lives by lies, I pray for my sons and my grandsons, and I pray for the men of this church that we will stand for truth. Now listen, will the world call you names and mock you and accuse you? They sure will. Join the club, my brothers. I get mocked every single week. But we do not live for the applause of men. We live for the approval of Almighty God. Now hear this We don't use the truth as a weapon We don't use the truth as a way to harm our enemies Or attack people who disagree with us But we do use the truth as a tool to raise our families And conduct our lives And we should do it without shame and without fear Finally, men, I just want to encourage you today. Most men I know are super hard on themselves. They often see themselves as failures. Fellas, I just want to tell you from another broken vessel, as long as you're breathing, you're still being molded and shaped by the hand of God. He is a restorer. He is a redeemer. He ain't done with you. He's still working on each of us. Don't condemn yourself. In the areas you've missed it, in the areas you've sinned, the areas you've messed up, don't condemn yourself. Condemnation brings no glory to God. But keep yourself on the potter's wheel so he can keep working in your life because God does some of his most beautiful works in a broken vessel. Can you say amen this morning? Would all the men in the house please stand? Whether you're a father or not, if you're a man, please stand. Four prayers. I'm praying for my sons. I'm praying for you. We would submit to God. We would sacrifice for our families. We would serve others. And we would stand for truth. Let's pray together today. Father God, we stand before you as men who want to please you with our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be strong enough, first of all, to surrender to you, to live submitted lives, submitted to your will and your calling. Father, help us be men that sacrifice for our families. Yes, through work, through hard work, but also through things like love, and affection, tenderness, and grace. 
God, Lord, today and every day, will you create in us the heart of a servant to be like Jesus, washing the feet of others and giving our lives to make this world a better place. And finally, God, we ask for strength to live in truth and wisdom to apply it by making righteous judgments for our families and the people we lead. I ask you to bless every man in this room today, every man listening online or on the radio. God is a part of this service. I ask for a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit to come upon us this morning. Men, lift your hands to Almighty God as an act of submission to Him. Come on, this is the type of man. I don't want a man to say, I, I'm embarrassed or ashamed to lift my hand to God. He gave you breath. He gave you life. Just lift your hands to Him and say, yes, God. I want to know you, Lord. I want to serve you. I want my life to be used for your glory. Father, touch these men. We give you thanks and we give you praise today. Everybody said, amen. Amen.